The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Three receivers to the left, two to the right. Wilson locks into the left. Ball is batted up in the air. Intercepted off the deflection. Kansas City comes down with it, and it's Justin Reed who spun down at the 36. Just when you think the Broncos have something going, it's negated. A 10-yard return, and the Chiefs take over. What's going on, Chiefs Kingdom? Live from another dub. We got to keep stacking these things and keep building them up. You see them? We going to stack it, baby. Let's get it. Oh, no, somebody paying homage to Jameis Winston eating a W. The Chiefs have eaten five in a row since losing on opening night to the Lions. Unbeaten, eating Ws, eating up the Broncos for the 16th straight time. The last time the Broncos beat the Chiefs, Peter, week two, 2015, Peyton Manning at quarterback. Well, Mike, I did a little uh, math last night, which uh, I don't recommend to anyone at home. But and I don't, the only reason I don't recommend it is that, you know, counting and adding and all that stuff, you know, that late on Thursday night with a Friday show looming, it's can be troublesome. But I've come up with this stat that if you were a fan of the Raiders, of the Broncos, or of the Chargers. In other words, and and maybe even if you're Sean Payton, who took this job and got paid a jillion dollars to take this job in Denver. I just want you to know what you're up against. Patrick Mahomes, you know, obviously is still in football age, a young man. He's 28 years old. So you got to figure he's going to play what? Another 10 years? Patrick Mahomes, in his first 31 games against AFC West foes, is 28-3. The average margin of victory in those 28 wins, 15 points. Mike, it's got to be incredibly depressing for for the rest of this division 
to look at Patrick Mahomes on a night where he doesn't have everything going for him. On a night when whatever, the worst defense in football or certainly one of the worst, uh, you know, and statistically it was, you know, when that defense plays pretty well against the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes is still looking for those receivers he can rely on. Is it going to be Sky Moore, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, whatever? After he loses Tyreek Hill and Juju Smith-Schuster in successive years, he has not found the golden wide receiver yet. And still, it is Kansas City 19, Denver 8, in a game that never really felt that close. And so, Mike, I don't know what you do if you're in the AFC West right now, watching Patrick Mahomes every time he plays you dispatch you with relative ease. And I think the only thing you can do is hope to supercharge your own offense to the point where you can outscore him, especially when, and the thing that dawned on me yesterday, because Chris Sims and I have been talking about how the Chiefs just don't really keep their foot on the gas pedal if they even find the gas pedal. It just feels sluggish at times. We said yesterday they play with their food. That's what the Chiefs do, and that's what they were doing last night. They get a little something going. They screw around, have an ugly interception, field goal instead of a touchdown. There just isn't a crispness crispness there. I, I can remember when not that long ago the Chiefs would slip into overdrive and score 28 points in a quarter. It would be like the basketball stretch where you go 18 to 2. Game's kind of close. Here come the Chiefs with an 18 to 2 run and that's it. They don't do that anymore. It's more methodical, it's more plotting. It was effective in the postseason last year, but at some point they do need that number one receiver they can rely upon. They're trying to will Kadarius Tony into that role and they keep designing plays for him that just don't work. Runs don't work. That pass didn't work. He caught a touchdown last night, his first one ever in the regular season, I think, at least first one this regular season. He may have had one late last year after he arrived via trade. But his numbers weren't great going into this game. And I would say last night his numbers weren't off the charts. Nobody's other than Travis Kelsey's were off the charts. I mean, I thought maybe they'd give Kelsey the night off to heal up that ankle. But if they had, I don't know that anybody would have done anything for that offense. And the game may have been 10-8. to instead of 19 to eight, or maybe they would have lost the game without Kelsey last night because he still continues to be that one reliable piece in the passing game that Patrick Mahomes can go to, but there isn't that other guy that stepped up, Peter. And I don't know when, how, and if that guy does. Is this just the way their offense is going to be this year with Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, and a collection of guys that you just hope will make a play when their number is called? Well, Mike, when you think about it, you know, this sort of reminds me in a rich man's problem way. It sort of reminds me of what we're seeing now with the Patriots, but really in a a different way. You know how people are saying now with the Patriots, hey, welcome to the rest of the league. You haven't experienced this for 22 years, 23 years. And so, you know, the... The Kansas City offense right now is basically Travis Kelsey, Isaiah Pacheco, and, you know, like, this is really going to age me, spawn insane and pray for rain. 
you know, the old pitching rotation where you had Warren Spahn and Johnny Sane a thousand years ago, and then you hope for a rain out. And it's almost the same thing with Kansas City right now that Patrick Mahomes is going to have to manufacture every week guys he hopes will get open and just keep working with him. And I'm reminded in training camp this year, Mike, one of the things that Patrick Mahomes told me is he said that in this offseason, Sky Moore was everywhere with him. He did not miss any session anywhere with Patrick Mahomes trying to make sure that he was not only on the same page, but could work with him to the point that you probably remember in the Super Bowl against Atlanta, uh, right down the stretch and in overtime of that game, the New England Patriots won with Chris Hogan and Malcolm Mitchell making so many big plays down the stretch. And when I asked Tom Brady about it uh, a week later, one of the things he said is, 110 practices. I said, what do you mean? And he goes, I have practiced with these two guys and with this whole thing, 110 times. And that includes before practice, timing on comeback routes, which particularly were killer to the Falcons in that game. And Patrick Mahomes did the exact same thing with Sky Moore. And you've got to figure that eventually this year, I still believe that his relationship with his receivers from all of those practices in the offseason is going to pay off. It paid off last year, and I think it's going to pay off this year, but obviously it's been a struggle right now. Last night for the receivers, Rasheed Rice, four catches for 72 yards. Kadarius Toney, three for nine yards, and that one touchdown. Sky Moore had two for 22 Noah Gray, the other tight end, had two for 14. Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Justin Watson each targeted once with no catches. And again, the star of the night, Travis Kelsey. Nine targets, nine catches, 124 yards. Aggravated the ankle at one point when he got tackled, and the guy twisted a little bit, not on purpose. That's just kind of what they do. They grab that ankle, they don't let go, and you can see it get caught up a little bit, and he kind of had to run it off, and he seemed fine. He came back and didn't miss a beat. We'll see how that ankle holds up when the next round of injury reports comes out. But without him, they would have been stuck. And also, Isaiah Pacheco. He's the top runner. And beyond Travis Kelsey, he had the most catches last night with six on six targets. I mean, it's amazing how efficient and crisp Patrick Mahomes is with the guys that he's been around. Kelsey, nine targets, nine catches. Pacheco, six targets, six catches. Now, with Rice, it was four targets, four catches, but elsewhere, it's just going to take some work. And each of these, you're right, these games stack, practices stack. Sometimes the light does go on. Maybe they will be looking to trade for somebody. If there's somebody available, it's all going to work out just right. And then you got to get a guy up to speed on the fly. It took Kadarius Toney a while to get to get up to speed last year. But by the time the postseason rolls around, that's what that would be for, if they would even do that. You either hold with the guys you have and you hope it gets better or you see who's out there as that trade deadline looms on October 31st. But, Peter, they're just not as dynamic. They're not as fast break as they used to be. That's the Dolphins now. The Chiefs just kind of plug along, make a play, 
score more points than you do, and it helps when your defense is pretty damn good. It helps that they push Sean Payton to within six minutes and seven seconds of his first shutout ever, ever. And it looked like they weren't going to score any points, but for that great catch by Cam Sutton in the end zone that they didn't realize was a touchdown. It happened so quickly, and it was so artful. They had to take a look at it. They had to throw the red flag to have that ruled into a touchdown. But for that, maybe they would have been shut out last night. So that defense is really helping stack those W's we saw being eaten at the top of the show because the offense right now, if they did not have a good defense in Kansas City, the offense would have a hard time scoring enough points to win enough games. Yeah, I'll say there's a couple of things about that defense that really impressed me last night. I think Amazon had a really, really good video of, or a really good replay of the first interception. And and I, I don't know if you remember the Nick Bolton, you know, his positioning on that interception. But, you know, Mike, when I've been around this team in the last year or so, Andy Reid, Steve Spagnolo, teammates talk about the instincts of Nick Bolton. And, you know, the... The Kansas City defense never really seems to feature any single person, except probably, you know, Chris Jones. It just seems to be this faceless mass of of guys. But this interception by Nick Bolton, I thought, was just absolutely beautiful last night. And, and you're not going to see it right here, but... The play itself, the reason why, and here it is, the reason why it was beautiful when they showed it from the end zone, and I'm sorry, I don't think we're going to see that, but when they showed that from the end zone, it showed the exact thing that a linebacker is supposed to do when you're playing against a quarterback who you have read well. Okay, and what I mean by that is, You wait, you wait, you wait until he commits to where he's going to throw. And Nick Bolton was very patient. And then he he leapt on that ball as soon as he knew where it was going. And I applaud what they have done on this defense in making guys like Nick Bolton, uh, you know, feature guys. It's the same way that Steve Spagnuolo did it with guys with the Giants when they beat the Patriots and, and, and you know, had that great game against the Patriots. You have to basically read an offense's tendencies over and over and over again, and that's really what Nick Bolton did last night. Well, and the other side of that coin, Peter, you've got an offense that is allowing its tendencies to be read. You have an offense that isn't doing enough right. in Denver to stay ahead of whatever the Chiefs are seeing on film. And that's one of the realities here. Here's Sean Payton after the game on the struggles of the Denver passing game. Now six games in to the Sean Payton-Russell Wilson experiment. Not going well. Let's hear from Payton on how last night went. Look, we came in. We knew third down was going to be a little bit of a challenge with, obviously, what they do defensively. But... But we wanted to uh, maybe get to the line with some plays spontaneously, quickly. Um, overall, though, um, it, it wasn't good enough. And then there's a handful of things 
plays that I even called that I look back on and and, and was anticipating one thing and, and got something else. So we've got to be better there. I mean, to to win in our league, you, you got to be better throwing the ball, especially, you know, I don't think the wind was that big of a factor. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan-favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Yeah, look... I feel like Russell Wilson's not going to be on that team next year. I know there's 11 games left, and he can get better on the fly, and he's been thrust into this new offense. But I feel like Sean Payton believed he could fix him, and he's not fixed yet. And it's not going to be Payton's fault this time. Last year it was the coach's fault. This year it's going to be the quarterback's fault. There's about $35 million in injury guarantees that become fully guaranteed in March. I think they're going to pull the plug before then unless we see something over the course of the next 11 games that will make Sean Payton think, okay, with the benefit of another full offseason, another full training camp, another preseason, we'll be ready to go. You know, I'm not seeing enough from Russell Wilson that reminds me of who he was in Seattle. There's just something that's off. There's something that's missing. There's never any play that he makes that makes me say, ooh, that makes me say, wow that makes me say he's one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. It just kind of feels like everybody's going through the motions and they're searching for something. Their running game is okay, but it just, there's just something missing. And what's missing is an entire passing game, Peter. You know, Mike, my biggest question about this is, uh, you know, who's going to be his receiver core uh, after October 31st. So for, for those who who don't know, the trading deadline is October 31st. And that is two weeks away after this weekend of football. And I think my question is, you know, what can you get for Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, second and first round picks respectively, um, who really have just been guys? And, you know, so at this point right now, when you look at these two players, 
look, if you take him away, obviously it's going to really limit what Russell Wilson can do with this offense. But at this point, that's not as important as trying to get maybe uh, one day two and one day three draft pick, if you can, for these two players. And that has to be the priority of the Denver Broncos and and uh, George Payton, the general manager, and Sean Payton, the head coach. And I just realized I called Cortland Sutton, Cam Sutton earlier, like the moron that I am. But when you look at this offense, and you're right, what are they going to do without Sutton? What are they going to do without Judy? Well, what are they doing with them? 95 passing yards for a game for 60 minutes of National Football League action, 95 yards. That's 1971 numbers. That's not 2023 numbers, not with the way the game has evolved. The rules have changed. It's all about passing game. Sean Payton's all about passing game. This is depressing. 13 completions on 22 attempts for 95 yards, sacked four times, one touchdown, two interceptions, passer rating of 46.6. That's just abysmal. And again, it's not going to be Payton's fault this time. Last year, it was Nathaniel Hackett's fault. This year, it's Russell Wilson's fault. And right or wrong, right or wrong. And you know how Peyton is too, Peter. He's the ultimate don't double down on your mistakes head coach. And he'll have the conversation with Greg Penner, the owner of the team, George Peyton, if George Peyton even survives this year. Who knows the way this thing is going. And I don't mean during the season. I mean afterward. But at some point, the conversation needs to be had. We made a mistake with Russell Wilson. And we can either double down on it and continue to struggle, or we can just rip off the Band-Aid, admit the mistake, and move on. And it just feels like that's where this heading is heading with 11 games to go in the regular season. But they're 1-5. in five. Playoffs, in the AFC, and again, with 17 games, we don't know exactly what the magic number is of losses to either put you in a position where you've got to run the table or you're just done. But with five losses in six games, they're what? Maybe two losses away from being done? Maybe three? And they've lost five in their first six? I mean, it's over this year for the Denver Broncos. And they need to be thinking about next year. And I know Peyton will never tank. He's said on this program, it's completely contrary to everything you're trying to build within an organization. You try to win every single game. You don't go out there with less than a full deck. Now, maybe you've traded away some of your best receivers, so you kind of deliberately do that, but they're still going to try to win. But even in trying to win, Peter, they're going to be in great position to go out and draft some guys that can help this team turn around if they make the right picks, if they develop them well, and if they can find a way in a very difficult division to win some football games. But you have to wonder, if you could get Sean Payton under a little sodium pentothal this morning or attach him to a lie detector test, if he'd admit he has any regrets about coming back when he did and taking this job when he took it? I don't think so, Mike. My gut feeling is that Sean Payton still comes into work thinking that we're going to be okay. We're not going to be, we're not doing anything this year, but I have enough elements in place on this team right now to really give us a chance to win. But Mike, I, I wanna I wanna just ask two two questions because I am not really all that 
I don't know the ins and outs of the salary cap hit that Denver would take with Russell Wilson, uh, depending on whether they cut him uh, or or got rid of him somehow in either March of next year or March of the following year. I was always under the impression that when they signed him to that contract, it was going to be absolutely prohibitive to get rid of him uh, without ruining your team for a year or two uh, until 2025. So if indeed they decided to do this next year, what precisely, to your understanding, is the cap hit? Because it's listed at something like 80-something million if you cut him next year. Well, they could cut him with the June 1 designation, and it would be $18.4 million for 2024, and then they would t- take the, the, the much larger hit. And I'm looking at $8.4 million per year for four years. That's $33.6 million plus another $20 million on top of it. It's a $53.6 million dead cap charge in 2025, $18.4 million in 2024 if they would cut him next year with a post-June 1 designation. But the problem is there's a, a, an injury guarantee in the neighborhood of $35 million that becomes fully guaranteed in March. So you're stuck. You're stuck. You're going to commit to future guarantees. You're going to tie your hands even more tightly to this quarterback if you don't cut him. And trading him, not an option, because you trade him pre-June 1 and you're taking the full cap charge of $80 million plus next year. But I, I, it, it, something's got to give. If he's just not the guy, what do you do? Do you just keep banging your head against the wall for a couple more years because you don't want to go through a year where you've got to do some heavy lifting to comply with the cap? Do you want to have a quarterback on your team who's going to have a big cap number if he's there or if he's not there? Do you want to keep the guy around? These are all decisions they're going to have to make. And maybe they do say, we'll take a $50 million cap charge in 2025. We'll plan for it. We'll work around it. We'll have a quarterback under a rookie wage scale contract, so it's not like we're paying a lot of money to our quarterback. We'll just bite (coughs) the bullet and we'll deal with it. It's better than doubling down on our mistake. And the mistake was made when they gave up all that draft compensation and paid all that money on the way through the door, basically. I mean, it was a little bit after he got there, but big contract, big draft compensation, and clearly the Broncos regret that. Sean Payton may not regret coaching the Broncos. Clearly at this point, the Broncos organization, if they were being candid, would admit they regret trading for Russell Wilson. So once you admit that, what do you do about it? That's going to be the big question that needs to be answered between now and whenever that guarantee vests from injury only to fully guaranteed after the season. Well, you know, Mike, there was a, I mean, we probably discussed it. You probably discussed it a bit, maybe with some eyebrows raised at some point last year in March. And at the time, nobody really made a big deal of it. I'm not saying I made a big deal of it, but I definitely noted this that when the Denver Broncos signed Jared Stidham to a, I think it was two years, 10 million, I think his cap hit in 2024, the second and last year of the contract is going to be 7 million. I think that's right. 
in my opinion, that was always done, not just to make yourself better and deeper at the quarterback position. That was Russell Wilson insurance. And, you know, in my opinion, just a, just a gut feeling, geez, I, I kind of think that Sean Payton must, be, must feel the way Josh McDaniels felt last year toward the end of the year. And we all remember this, the, the game where uh, either, you know, Derek Carr just disappears the last two weeks of the year and uh, Vegas has got to play either the best or one of the best defenses in football in week 17. They got to play the San Francisco 49ers. And what happens in that game? Jarrett Stidham throws for 365 yards, puts up 34 points. The best offensive output by far of this season. Even when Derek Carr was there for 15 games, he didn't do anything what like what Jarrett Stidham uh, you know, did against you know, the 49ers that day. And I think even though Stidham played poorly in week 18, this reminds me of the old Bill Walshism, Mike. If I see him do something once, I can coach him to do it a lot more times than that. And that, I think, is the way Sean, Pe- Sean Payton and, honestly, Josh McDaniels, who wanted to keep Jarrett Stidham, uh, felt uh, after watching that game. And so... I think that everybody's going to say, well, geez, who, who are you going to pick? Who are you going to draft? What, what are you going to do at quarterback? And I don't think Sean Payton feels like he has to do anything at quarterback because I think he would give the job at least temporarily to Jared Stidham. I've had a chance to refresh my memory a little bit on the details of the Russell Wilson contract, and here's the important thing to keep in mind. As I said, if they would cut him with a post-June 1 designation – before his current injury guarantees become fully guaranteed in the middle of March. It would be an $18.4 million cap charge next year and $53.6 million in 2025. Now, that sounds like a lot. Here's the other side of the coin. If they don't cut him, his base salary for 2025 becomes fully guaranteed in March of next year. That base salary is $37 million. With the other cap charges that would apply for 2025, his cap number is $55.4 million. So you're going to have a $55.4 million cap charge with Russell Wilson on the team in 2025. You're going to have $53.6 million with him off the team in 2025. So if he's just not getting it done, it's all the more reason to move on and they would create cap space net next year because they wouldn't have to pay him his salary when they move on from him. The cap number goes down. You avoid the $17 million that he would do to be paid next year. That creates cap space that could be kicked over to the next year to alleviate the cap charge. This is all the abracadabra that happens behind the scenes to justify these moves. But, Peter, it makes me feel strongly. That $37 million hanging out there, what was it that got Derek Carr benched? It was $40 million 
that became fully guaranteed in early February if he wasn't able to pass a physical. They put him in bubble wrap because they didn't want him to have an injury that would linger just a few days past the Super Bowl and they would have been stuck with $40 million under Derek Carr's name. That's the thing to watch. We get toward the end of the season and all of a sudden Russell Wilson's not playing. That's your signal that he's gone before the $37 million in 2025 becomes fully guaranteed and straps him with a $55.4 million cap charge. He's gone before then, and they're keeping him healthy so they have the flexibility to move on from him before that $37 million becomes due. So that's, I think that has to be creeping into their thought processes as this season goes off the rails. Well, you know what else that means, Mike, in your – uh, telling about the cap over the next two years, it means that the Broncos are going to have to do some cap gymnastics to be able to be as competitive as they would like to be in 2025 if they indeed do get rid of Russell Wilson. And what that would entail, I think, is front-loading a few contracts you know, with heavy uh, cap numbers in 2024 and maybe even extending Jarrett Stidham uh, and, and giving him a good bump for 2024, which would then allow you to say, okay, listen, I don't want Jarrett Stidham to hit free agency after the 24 season. I want him, uh, you know, on our payroll somehow, some way, at least through 2025 and maybe even depending on how much I think I like him through 2026. So, you know, the Broncos, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, early in the offseason, you see the Broncos redo some contracts or when they sign a free agent or two, uh, signing free agents so that they can put a lot of the uh, cap money in 2024 and lesser numbers in 2025. And, you know, here's depressing news if you are a Broncos fan, and this goes back to 2022. They do the trade for Russell Wilson fairly early in the offseason. Remember, once Aaron Rodgers decides he's staying put, that same day the announcement is made, we get the news that the Broncos have a deal with the Seahawks. Their plan A was Rodgers. Plan B was Russell Wilson. They pivoted to him immediately once Rodgers decided he was going to go back to Green Bay for another year. Wilson was under contract for two more years, and he had a habit of making his push for a new contract when he had one year remaining on his current deal. That's how he did it in Seattle. Seattle went along with it. Russell Wilson wasn't clamoring for a new contract. This news came out of the blue September 1 of 2022, just before the season began, when they gave him this gigantic contract that ties their hands and puts them in a position to have these massive cap hits. And in hindsight, Denver, beyond the question of why you traded for him, why did you give him the new contract? Why did you do this? You had no reason to do it. Unless secretly behind the scenes, Russell Wilson and his agent Mark Rogers We're rattling the cage, banging the drum. We want this contract before this relationship officially begins with a regular season game. Unless they were demanding it, why did you do it? And Peter, and I'm George Payton, I'm starting to think about where my relationships are with other teams and where I could go be an assistant GM because ultimately – 
He's the one. Now, look, they didn't do the contract until the Walton Penner group took over, but they're deferring to the recommendation they get from the guy who's been there. George Payton is the one that this mess is going to stick to if this Russell Wilson thing ends up being a situation where they don't know what to do. They're caught in a house of mirrors, and they can't get out of it without taking a big-ass cap charge in 2025, whether they have him or whether they don't. They are stuck. So it's not good for the Broncos, and they're going to have to do some of the things you're suggesting. They're going to have to be very creative with their cap mechanics going forward, 2024 and 2025. But you're going to have that problem with Wilson, you're going to have that problem without him. And if he's just not getting it done, Peter, go ahead and have that problem without him. Yeah, I mean, I think my gut feeling is that you you see what Peyton has done now with Randy Gregory and Frank Clark. And I think he's going to say, look, we have some guys on this team that uh, we're not going to move. And we have some guys who... I don't think he wants to move Justin Simmons. I'm certain he doesn't want to move Garrett Bowles, you know, at left tackle. Uh, but, you know, you can't just think that somebody is going to trade you a two for Jerry Judy, who's been borderline invisible since he got there. Um, and so I, I, I think for Denver to get real draft value, out of the trading deadline this year. They've got to consider trading. And look, I don't, it's not that, I, I think Justin, Justin Simmons is really, really good. Okay, he's, uh, he's a top 12 to 15 NFL safety easily. But you ask the question, he's whatever, in his eighth year, I think you have to identify guys who, who's going to still be on this team when we get, theoretically, when we think we're going to be a contender, which maybe you could fantasize yourself into thinking, oh, we can contend next year, but more realistically, it's probably 2025. So to me, the only guy you're not trading is Patrick Sertan. And, you know, and everybody else, to me, if the phone rings, you got to answer it and you got to talk to him. Because remember... Two things, Mike. So the Broncos have their first round pick next year. They don't have their uh, the, the pick last year that they traded to Philadelphia. You know, so, so they, 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 I'm sorry, they don't have the pick they traded to New Orleans. I was looking at New Orleans trading a pick last year to Philadelphia. But Denver's two next year, goes to New Orleans in the Sean Payton trade. So essentially what you have right now is you have one pick in the first two rounds with the hope of getting more than that back when you start dealing people before the trading deadline. One other wrinkle to ponder. If the Broncos agree with Sean Payton's assessment that if you've made a mistake, the worst thing you can do is double down on it. And I'm just putting this out there into the ether. I don't think it's going to happen. Would they fire Sean Payton after one year? 
Would they just say, we have to start over again? We shouldn't have done it. We made a mistake. The buyout doesn't matter to us because we're the richest ownership group in the NFL and we can write the check right now for the $100 million or whatever they would owe him on the balance of his five-year fully guaranteed coaching contract. We just have to start over. This just isn't working. At some point, do they have that conversation among the multi-billionaires that own the team? Do they have the conversation that we just might have made a mistake here, that it's not just Russell Wilson, it's Sean Payton? I'm just putting it out there because we don't know this group. All we know about this group so far is they fired their last coach after one year. Now, they didn't hire that guy, so it's easier to admit that mistake. But depending upon how this goes, depending upon whether or not they can win some games, and they got the Chiefs again pretty soon, and they've got other games on the schedule that you look at and you say, going to be tough to win that one. Just something to consider because – Every time the question comes up about a coach being out after one year, the first reaction is, oh, nobody does that. Then you look at the list of all the times it's happened. It's like, hell, that happens pretty often, grand scheme of things. So, again, I'm not saying it should. I'm not saying it could. I'm not saying it would. I guess I am saying it could. I'm not saying that it's going to happen, that it should happen. I just think it's one of those things that flickers on the edge of the radar screen that if they keep losing games, it's at least a possibility because we don't know enough about the Walton Penner group to know whether or not they would say, hey, Sean, here's your $100 million parting gift. We just feel compelled to go in a different direction. I mean, here's the reason why I don't think that will happen. Okay. Um, You are the Walton family. You're Greg Penner very high on the masthead of the Walton organization. You know, your your, uh, other Waltons, uh, obviously, in this group. And and so you ask yourself, you took over a team where you never even met this coach before, Nathaniel Hackett, and you see that it's spiraling out of control, so you make a change. And then you investigate, 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 interview, 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 and you decide that your guy is Sean Payton. You not only you know trade for him, you trade significant draft capital for him. And theoretically, if you've got $80 million left after this year to pay Sean Payton over four years, and whatever the number is, it's something like that, you have to ask yourself, How exactly did you make all that money with the Waltons? What did you do? Just sit back and count it, put your feet up on the table and just let it roll in? And, you know, do you truly not understand this business where a lot of times, you know, sometimes, you know, the the Walmart becomes Kmart. Walmart becomes Sears. Walmart becomes J.C. Penny, and what I'm saying is not that this great franchise, Walmart, is going to become any of those either failed or failing franchises, uh, whatever is going on with them. What I'm saying is you didn't get to where you are, the perch of you know, this this gigantic Fortune 500, 100, this Fortune 10 company, 
wherever they are on that list by making knee-jerk decisions. This would feel particularly knee-jerk if you handed an employee $100 million or $90 million, whatever it is, if you handed him all this money and then said 11 months later, never mind. Don't disagree with that. We just don't know how this group is going to react in this industry. This is far different from running a retail operation because your wins and losses are very public. Score is kept in a very different way. And while you're making plenty of money, there's a different way of competing than they've ever experienced in their lives. All that matters at Walmart is making money. Making money is your Super Bowl. At the NFL level, all 32 teams are winning a financial Super Bowl, but only one is winning the actual Super Bowl, and 20 teams every year end up looking like they can't fight their way out of a paper bag because they can't make it to the postseason. It's just something to keep an eye on because we don't know how these folks are going to be. But I will tell you this, and I've been saying this from day one, they are ruthless. And I don't mean that in a good way or a bad way. I just mean it as an observation. The folks who run Walmart are ruthless, and that's how they've gotten to where they are. Take no prisoners, never think twice, be resolute, make your decisions, analyze them ahead of time, don't make rash decisions. But once they make that decision, they're not going to think twice about it, especially in a case like this, where if they do make that decision, Sean Payton's got a $100 million golden parachute that he escapes Denver with. So just something, as this thing goes, the way it's going, with no sign it's going to turn around. And look, Peyton admits he made the mistake last night. Good Lord, calling a timeout after third down. Not That's what, what does a coach do? What does a co- any coach during the game, what do you do? Now, he calls the play, so he's caught up in the micro, but we've said this time and again, you got to be able to balance the macro and the micro. You can't be so caught up in your play sheet and what the next play is going to be that you forget yeah. what down it is. He forgot what down it was. He admits it to his credit. He forgot what down it was called a timeout, and and helped ensure that the Chiefs would be in position to kick a 60-yard field goal to get an extra three points in a game where those points mattered, given how sluggish the Chiefs' offense was. So, I, look, we're not doing our job if we're not at least saying, folks, folks, don't be absolutely flummoxed and flabbergasted if this happens because we don't know enough about this ownership group to know what they'll do And we don't know how deep this hole is going to go. But through six weeks, Peter, it's deeper than they thought it was going to go. I would be flummoxed and flabbergasted beyond, even beyond that. And, And I'll just tell you why. You tell me right now, who's the golden child who's out there? Who's going to save my franchise? We just drafted the, we just signed and hired the golden child. And you realize that, it wasn't all Nathaniel Hackett's fault that this team has some major, major issues. And so just because you hire the golden child coach, it doesn't mean those issues are going to go away. And I think the one thing that I would say to you in, and look, it's great to bring it up on October 13 at 7.30 in the morning Eastern time and just put it on the record like you never know. But the reason that that's as absolutely as far as I would go is that 
all you're going to do, it's just like the end of Casablanca, where you're going to hear the, um, shoot, I'm forgetting his name, where you're going to hear the, uh, you know, the head of the gendarmerie in Casablanca tell his men, round up the usual suspects. Because that's all you're doing. Who's the miracle man out there right now? Who's going to come in and win you three more games next year than you really should? So to me, this is a time where I will be shocked, shocked, if the Walton Penner group uh, does not exercise patience and say, we're, by, we're, we're, we're taking the hits this year and we want to see progress this offseason. And if that entails biting the bullet on Russell Wilson, then that's what we're going to do. Hey, Bill Belichick might be available next year, although that name doesn't have quite the same sizzle that it had. How, how does that, how does that so, help? I, I don't know. know. I don't I'm, know I'm, how I'm that just, helps. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be funny on a Friday morning, but it yeah. doesn't help. That's yeah. not the direction that the Broncos should go if they decide to make this change. But again, we don't know. All we know about Broncos ownership is they fired Nathaniel Hackett after one season. And you can't get into that dysfunctional approach of firing a coach after every year. Fire a coach, fire a coach. You look like idiots before too long. Let's just see how it plays out. Let's just see how this season goes. But I think the two main focal points of potential change, three, three, Russell Wilson, Sean Payton, George Payton. I expect at most one of them is going to be back next year. At most one. There's a chance none. There's a chance just see how it goes. All right, let's take a break. A couple of West Coast teams making the trip to Ohio on Sunday. We're going to talk Seahawks, Bengals, and 49ers, Browns when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 